Just want to say hello again. If you are brand new and I have not got a chance to greet you or meet you, my name is Dave Berenger. I'm the pastor of K-First, and I just want to say thank you for joining us on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, hopefully this afternoon uh, you get a good chance to get, uh, it sounds weird to say, a Resurrection Sunday nap. Jesus came out of the tomb so that you can go back to bed. There's a word for somebody today. Uh, hopefully you get uh, a little bit of Easter candy. Um, I am... If you don't like uh, Starburst jelly beans, it's the best jelly beans of all the jelly beans. Uh, we're hoping to get you delivered. Um, and if you like black jelly beans, I'm hoping to come to faith in Jesus today because those taste like sin. Goodness gracious. If you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 20, now that I've insulted your jelly bean taste. And if you eat peeps, God help you. Ever bite into a peep? It's like the definition of disappointment. It's like, that's it? John chapter 20. Would you please stand for the reading of the word? Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and went to Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths laying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, went into the tomb. He saw the linens lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen tombs, but folded up in a place by itself. And the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Lord Jesus, we breathe in resurrection life today. We breathe in life because you are alive. We celebrate that you, you were a man of your word. That Lord, you, you prophesied that you would, Lord, be killed. That Lord, that temple would be destroyed, but you would raise it up three days later. And today we get to celebrate that. So I ask that you would speak to hearts and lives today. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. What are you asking from God this Easter? What are you asking of God or from God? There's a question. I think we all ask God for things. Uh, I had read a story of a man who was talking to God one day and said, God, what is a million years like to you? What is a million years like to you? And God answered and said, it's like a second. Wait, a million years is like a second to you, and God says, yes. It's like a, it's like a second. So, God, what about a million dollars? What's a million dollars to you? And he goes, it's like a penny. So God says, God, can I have a penny? And God says, sure. Give me a second. Half of you will get that joke in like 60 seconds. I've been working that one for like 48 hours, so... What are you asking God for? We ask God for a lot of things. 
we asked God for numbers of things, but like when I begin to ask the question in my brain, what, when people talk to me, what are they usually asking God for? And I think I boiled it down to a simple statement. People simply need God to show up. They need God to show up. It's a moment. It's a situation. It's a bill that came out of nowhere. It is something that's taken place that's tragic. It's a, it's a relative you haven't sp- spoken to in years showing up at the door. We need God to show up. Uh, have you ever been made to show up to something? My wife just had something happen to her that has never happened in her 25 years of life. I'm a smart man. She got something in the mail that said, it's time for you to show up. We call that jury duty. I don't know why I was so happy she got that letter. I think I've gotten invited like four times. I don't know why they keep wanting me back, but there I am. This is she. Your presence is the matter. Let me tell you, if you want to be the best grandparent, the best aunt and uncle in life, you want to know how to make a mark on on the children in your life, show up. Show up. You want to know how to be a good parent? Being a good parent is not about giving your kids the best toys or the best vacations or giving them everything they've ever asked for. Can I just tell you that is a recipe to not be a great parent is give your kids everything they've asked for. I forgot I got the kids in the room. (laughs) But the parents that are really truly valued and remembered, they are the parents that show up. Today's my dad's birthday, and I'm telling you what, what makes my dad a legend in my life is not only is he the one to introduce me to Jesus, but he never missed a football game. Even though his son wasn't starting, nor would ever start, But he showed up. He showed up to one of my track meets for which I said, Dad, listen, bruh, there's no, I didn't say bruh at the moment. Come on. (laughs) There's no reason. Unless you understand track meets, I'm telling you what, the most boring thing you've ever showed up to. And then I'm like, Dad, you don't need need to show up because I'm here for you. I said, Dad, it's boring. And plus, this is the only spot girls will talk to me. So, Dad, you got to go away. (laughs) Totally true. Showing up. That's what Resurrection Sunday is about. It's showing up. The day that Jesus, yes, he showed up out of the tomb, but there's so much more to the story than the resurrection, the stone rolled away, and Jesus walking out of life. There's more that happened on that day. And I love the scripture, and I don't know about you, I, I see the funny in life, in everything. I love looking for the funny. And when you're reading scripture, I'm telling you what, some of you are so serious when you read the scripture and you don't see the funny stuff that's there. My dad would say this way, some people suck on lemons before they pray. They suck on lemons before they show up to church. Don't don't be the lemon person. I want you to see, there's actually some hilarious stuff here on Resurrection Sunday because the Gospel of John was written by, wait for it, it's written by John. Blew your mind. John writes, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. So she ran to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, notice something. John doesn't say 
Mary came to get me and Simon Peter. He says, Jesus, or that's Jesus, excuse me, that Mary came and approached Peter and the one whom Jesus loved. In other words, yeah, she said something to Peter, but she said something to the one that Jesus really loved. I was Jesus' favorite. Does anybody in the house, you feel like you're Jesus' favorite person? Absolutely. And said to them, they've taken my Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid them. So Peter went out with the other disciple. Doesn't even name himself. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running. But the other disciple outran Peter. Not only am I the favorite of Jesus, I'm faster than Simon Peter is. So, both of them were running. The other disciple outran Peter, reached the tomb first, and they stooped and looked in, saw the linen clothes, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter finally showed up, finally showed up, went into the tomb, saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the cloth but folded up in a place by itself. And the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, by the way, also went in, saw and believed. John, you're laying on a little thick here. They, sh- they approach this tomb. It's empty. And what we see is we see a series within all four Gospels, a series of appearances of Jesus to people. See, there is more to the story than the stone was rolled away. Jesus began to show up. In fact, the scripture says he showed up to over 500 people in the days left upon this earth. And I think that shows the heart of God. Because for three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, he was appearing. He was interacting. He was loving. He was confronting. He was relating to people. And he could not help but continue to do that. God showed up then. And I'm here to say in 2023, Jesus is still showing up in lives. He's still showing up in families. He's still showing up in hearts. He's still showing up in churches. Sometimes I think that we forget that Jesus shows up with us. Man, so often as pastors, we'll walk in and we, and we want to invite Jesus into the room. I think that's a travesty because Jesus is already here before we get here. And instead of inviting him into the room, how about we just start recognize Jesus is here. He is still showing up. And now if you were Jesus, who would you appear to first? Have you ever thought about that? Because I got a list of who I would have showed up to first. I mean, think about the story of Jesus' crucifixion. Think about him being betrayed. Think about him being run out on. Think about the people who condemned him, the people who whipped him. Who would be at the top of your list? First of all, if you're not saying your mama, then you need to repent right now. The last time Mary, the mother Jesus, saw, saw her son, he was being crucified and Jesus spoke and asked for John to take care of Mary. And so I'm telling you what, there was a time years ago that when I was, happened to be driving through Detroit, I didn't tell my parents I was driving through. We didn't have time to stop and say hello. We just drove through all the way to Midland, Michigan, where we lived at the time. And I remember my mom calling me. She says, don't you ever drive through Detroit with my grandchildren and not say hello. Like, how did you know? She goes, the Holy Spirit tells me everything. I'm telling you, before 
back before like email and internet, okay? That, that's, in college, we didn't have internet for a couple years. And I remember at one point, this guy's like, hey, Dave, do you have Hotmail? I'm like, I'm not into porn. And he's like, no, that, that's email. I'm like, what's email? That's, yeah, there's my age right there. Before all of the email existed, there was a young lady broke up with me on Friday night, and then Saturday morning, my mom calls me. She says, how you doing? I'm like, how did you know? She says, the Holy Spirit tells me everything. Kids, do not doubt mom's connection to Jesus. So before you ever do something dumb, just know the Spirit of God's going to tell Jesus. They're going to tell your mama. I would have appeared to Mary if I were Jesus. Mom, it's cool. I'm okay. Got to go. Got to tell other people. All right? I would have appeared to Mary. I also would have appeared to Pilate, Pontius Pilate, who condemned me. And know what I would have done? I would have appeared to him while he was talking with his wife. Do you know why? Because his wife told him, I had a dream, have nothing to do with this man. He's innocent. Let him go. Jesus should have appeared to say, listen, you should have listened to your wife. If there's anything you need to hear this morning, is gentlemen, listen to your wives. And all the wives would say. Yeah. Preaching resurrection and saving marriages. I also would have gone to the religious leaders. Now, there were two really groups of religious leaders. There's what's called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees really led a lot of uh, the temple and a lot of the things that happened within the temple. And the biggest difference between them and the Sadducees, probably the biggest difference is the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection after death. You die and you're gone. So if I was Jesus, I would actually go to the room where the Sadducees were meeting and walk in and just go, boo. (laughs) It's just me. But what is so interesting is everybody that we would have done, because I, there's a flesh side that just wants to say, look what you did. Look what you missed out on. Just to throw it in somebody's face. But Jesus actually appears to what seems like some very unlikely individuals. And the gospel highlights those names. If you are a note taker, I want you to write down just three names. First of all, let's talk about Mary. Let's talk about Mary Magdalene. It says that Mary was there. She went and got the disciples. She went to the tomb. The disciples didn't go to the tomb until she said something. And she goes to the tomb. And she goes there, and they have seen that there's nobody, and they run off, and they left Mary there heartbroken. She's hurting. And I love that the scripture paints this very beautiful picture of a hurting individual. I love that scripture doesn't whitewash issues. The scripture doesn't hide that people were imperfect or that people were hurting. Because it encourages me that I'm a human being, that I can go through these hurts well. But for some reason within the church, we have to look our best. And we got to put on the happy face because we just can't walk in and let anybody know that we're, we can't be vulnerable to let anybody know we're hurting or we've gone through a rough week. We've had a rough day. We've had a rough life. We've had a rough six six months. We have to trick people into thinking that we are okay. And then that what that does is perpetuate something in the church that says, let's just show everybody we're okay and everybody we're perfect. The world doesn't need a perfect church. They need a perfect savior. And the way we see the perfect savior is through us being willing to be vulnerable, willing to be weak and letting his strength be made perfect in our weaknesses. Mary is hurting. 
Verse 11 in John chapter 20 says this. She stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head, one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. I love immediately the angels. They don't tell her to quit her crying. They recognize her hurts. I think that's a beautiful thing. I've even heard it preached that when it comes to hurt, stop your crying, just believe. Stop your hurting, just believe. I want you to understand something. When you hurt, heaven notices. When you're hurting, when you're broken in your spirit, heaven notices. Heaven notices. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to cry. It's okay. But the, what is not okay is when we allow our grief to take the lead and to begin to tell us an, an inaccurate story of God. I mean, I want to give somebody a word this morning. Is that when heaven hurts, God notices. But don't allow that hurt to tell you an inaccurate story about God. Because oftentimes in our hurts, we begin to think of stories. We begin to think that God doesn't care. We begin to think that, that something's been taken away. We begin to think we're missing something that we might not be really missing. And oftentimes that hurt clouds our judgment. And God wants us to lift up our eyes to see him in the middle of our hurt. Verse 13. They said to her, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord. I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing but didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, you have carried him away. Tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said, Mary, she turned to him. In Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. This moment, could you imagine, first of all, mistaking Jesus for a gardener? Then secondly, having that moment that Jesus hasn't distanced himself from my hurt. He's right next to me in my hurt. The first appearance of Jesus at the resurrection. He didn't appear to the religious. He didn't appear to the elite. He didn't appear to the rich. He didn't appear to the, to the people who had it all. He didn't go to the temple to a crowd. His first appearance was to a broken soul. A broken soul. And a woman at that, and that may not mean a lot, but in this culture, children and women were secondary. And so there is a statement that Jesus is making that says, there is no secondary human being on this earth that when you're broken, I will be near. Because there's something about our brokenness that attracts the heart of God. Psalm chapter 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. I love that, that he is near to the brokenhearted. So if you're here today and you're brokenhearted, you're here today and your heart has been fractured, you're here and you've been weeping all morning because of something that happened. I'm here to say that your tears do not move the heart of God away from you. In fact, I believe it moves the heart of God closer to you. That's why the presence of God is not a place to bypass our emotions. It's the place to process them. 
Because if we don't learn how to process them in the presence of God, we will process them in other avenues and other ways of life. And when we don't deal with our hurts properly, we will allow our hearts to become our own self-made prison. So if you're hurting this morning, here's my word for you. Look for him. Look for him because he's near. Now, you may be looking around, oh, pastor, I don't recognize him. Mary didn't recognize him. You may not recognize him, but just because you can't see God work and does that mean he's not working right now? Because in the silent moments, he's working. In the quiet moments, he's working. Because if we were to think Jesus was just simply in the tomb on Saturday, I'm here to say, you read the gospel, he was at work. And Mary reminds us that Jesus is always closer than you think. That brings us to our next individual that he appears to. This poor guy. I don't know about you. I don't want to be known by my failures. Ever had a failure you look back and just wince about? You just had that moment? Let's talk about a man by the name of Thomas. We know him as Doubting Thomas. He's known by his, his biggest flip-flop. I mean, is that how we got lazy Susans? Is there some lady named Susan... Ever thought about that? I would think, I've been thinking about it this whole week, and so I looked it up. Actually, the first Lazy Susan was in 1780, and then it said that Thomas Edison built one for his daughter Susan, and it was this kind of this contraption they built in, in England because as people began to have less and less servants, oh, boo-hoo, less servants, uh, they began to come up with contraptions so that they wouldn't have to get up and go get things. Lazy Susan, God bless If you're Susan in the house today, I apologize. Just let me say that. Jesus appears to the disciples. John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Immediately, John throws, what is up with John? Throws Thomas under the proverbial bus. He's out, it was Resurrection Sunday, so he couldn't go to Chick-fil-A, so he was out getting some hot and ready, all right? So the other disciples told them, we have seen the Lord. Why? Because Jesus appeared to them, and he says this, unless I see his hands, the mark, the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, place my hand to his side, I will never believe. Thomas, in this moment, gets his moniker, gets his name, Doubting Thomas. He shows up, and he says, and he hears, 10 other people. We've seen the Lord. The Lord's resurrected. And he walks in, arms folded, and he's like, yeah, I don't believe. By the way, Thomas sounds like Rocky Balboa. Hey, yo. God help me. Unless I see the, now I'm going into gangster mode. Don Corleone is Thomas. <laughs> My wife's like, stop the voices. Unless I touch the nail prints, the place at the side. Unless, unless, unless I touch, I won't believe. You know what? Doubters, skeptics get so much flack. But I think we paint people who are more skeptical than us as not necessarily different from us, we paint them as wrong. We paint them as bad. 
And I don't think that skeptics are bad people. I think they've missed out on, on what people have seen. They just haven't seen it. Coming out of COVID, I remember a friend of mine from our climbing gym called me up. He says, listen, I've been watching you. I wonder if we can have, if we can have a conversation. And he says, I'm an atheist and I've just got a lot of questions. And we sat down for two and a half hours at Water Street Coffee and he kept saying these, these words. I don't know what faith feels like, so I don't understand what you have. For which I kept trying to talk to him about faith is not a feeling. Faith is trust. It's a trust. But he kept talking about, he seems like everybody else sees something that I am not seeing. That's what I began to think about was my friend. And so Thomas draws a line in the sand. He says, unless I see the nail prints and put my finger there. Unless I see where the... The spear pierced his side. I'm not going to believe. So if you are a skeptic in the house, if you are a doubter in the house today, I want to give you a word this morning that Jesus is not turned off by your questions. Your thoughts, your doubts, your questions do not push Jesus away. It doesn't push Jesus away. In fact, I believe it attracts Jesus to you. Because Jesus loves Thomas. And this is what it says. Eight days later, verse 26, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Thank you, John. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them saying, peace be with you. Can we pause right there for a little bit of humor? It tells us the doors are, are locked. And Jesus appears in the middle of the group, which is why he has the words, peace be with you. In other words, everybody chill, I'm real, it's all good, settle down. That's why those words exist, because if you're just sitting with your fellow friends, you're living in fear of what might happen to you, you saw what happened to your Savior, all of a sudden Jesus appears, you know, it's like, what just happened? And right there, Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, put your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. I love that. Jesus did not look at Thomas and say, really, Thomas? Three years with me. Three and a half years, and this is what you're doing? Seriously? You're doubting? In fact, where were you the last time I showed up? Why weren't you with these guys? Where's your faith? Why do you have all of these questions? Would you stop questioning and just read more scripture and pray more and then you maybe believe? Jesus doesn't lecture. Jesus moves toward Thomas. But I think we treat doubters that way. Just believe. Just, just do what I do. Just feel what I feel. Stop asking questions. Stop asking questions. But listen, doubt doesn't push Jesus away. I believe it attracts Jesus to him. And Jesus, instead of standing outside saying, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Thomas on over. Jesus took a step toward and went to Thomas. Jesus went to where Thomas is. You see, the devil will try to use doubt to drive you away from God. But God can use doubt to draw you to himself. And I love the fact that he asked the doubter to do something. He looked at Tom and said, I took a step towards you. I want you to take a step towards me. If you're a doubter, you're a skeptic this morning, that is my challenge to you, is to take one step further closer to Jesus. 
I am not asking you to join this church. You're asking, well, I need a church. I'm going to tell you, I am biased and I play favorites. I prefer this one. But I could care less whether or not you come to this church. What I care about is that today you would take a step toward trusting Jesus with your life. Why? Because Jesus took a step towards you. And he's just waiting for you to take a step toward him. He could change your life. He can transform you. And that leads me toward my last one. So Jesus finds somebody hurting. He finds somebody doubting. And lastly, he finds a failure. How do we talk about Resurrection Sunday and not talk about Simon Peter? Because let's just be real. Simon Peter is having a bad, bad weekend. Because the Thursday of the week, he is talking with Jesus, and Jesus is having this conversation, and Simon Peter looks at Jesus, and he wants to stand out amongst everybody else. He's like, I would never leave you. I'm not going to ever abandon you. You can trust in me. I love you, Jesus. I'll never, ever abandon you. You can trust in me. And Jesus looks at him and calls him out and says, listen, I'm just going to tell you in the next 24 hours, you're going to deny me three times. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny knowing me. Oh, that's not possible. That's not possible. We go through the last supper. We go through the arrest and Peter takes off. And then Peter tries to follow at a distance. And in that distance, he's warming himself by the fire. And one by one, he begins to be approached by individuals, including a small child that says, aren't you that guy that was hanging out with Jesus? Aren't you one of his followers? Aren't you one of his disciples? And three times, get away from me. You don't know what you're talking about. And it says, he just began to curse. He just began to let the expletives fly. He's just letting it know, I am nowhere near connected to Jesus. And then he hears the rooster cry. And I can imagine as that rooster cries out, immediately his heart is torn in two, remembering the words of Jesus. As a fa- and he sits as a failure. I don't know if you've ever failed anything in life. I don't know if you've ever felt like you failed with your children. I have. Ever failed in your marriage? I feel like I have. Fail at a job or fail in life, fail as a human being. I think we've all been in places of failures, but something that I've tried to breathe into people for years is failure for some reason is something that happens to us, but then we begin to wear and live for the rest of our lives. I want to give you a word this morning that I love sharing with individuals, and it's just simply this. Failure is a bruise and it's not a tattoo. Failure is a bruise and not a tattoo. Listen, I know tattoos. I've got 16 of them looking for number 17. And, you, and now my wife will say she's got the veto power because she's like, if I have to stare at the rest of my life, I'm the one that has to approve of it. So that's always a good thing. But for some reason with failure, that when it happens to our life, We allow it to get underneath our surface and we feel like that we have to wear that the rest of our life. And I have to believe that Simon Peter was one of those individuals that was just so broken in this moment because he is now the one that's denied Jesus three times. You see, we think our failure drives Jesus away. But one more time, I'm here to say I believe that our failures are what attracts us to Jesus. And Mark 
in Mark, we are actually given some words of Mary that John does not include. In fact, the angel says to Mary, go tell the disciples and Peter that he's risen. Go tell, Jesus says to her, go tell the disciples and Peter. Now, there's two reasons for this. Number one, Peter was always pointed out because it said in that context that of the followers of Jesus, there was going to be some that would, one that would have been a leader, a little bit older than the rest of them. And so Peter was the one that we feel, commentators feel, was chosen as a leader. But I don't believe that Peter was signified as the, a leader here, separate from the others. I think that Jesus wanted Mary to carry a message that says, hey, everybody, I'm alive, but Peter, I want you to know it's okay I'm alive. I love that Mark's gospel highlights Peter's failure, but also his salvation. You may not know this. The gospel of Mark was written by a man named Mark, but he was telling Peter's story, which meant that he had to talk with Peter. So if I've got someone telling my story, can I tell you part of my story I'm not going to have them include in the gospel? The failure. But that's included because Peter records his own failure because he wants to paint a picture of Jesus that when it comes to our failures, it's okay to bring your failures at the feet of Jesus. And when I read about the resurrection story, Jesus knows about our brokenness. He knows about our, bro our sinfulness. He knows about our failures. And, but the one thing that we have is this, is he still shows up to us. He's the God that shows up, that doesn't turn us away. He doesn't say, go clean yourself up, then you come to me. Go get yourself looking the way that everybody thinks you ought to look like, then you come to me. Jesus says, listen, come just as you are. That's the old song they used to play at the Billy Graham Crusades. Come just as you are. I'm here to say, you feel like a failure. You're full of sin. You're full of brokenness. You don't like anything about what's happened in your life, and you know you're far from God. I'm here to say, you're not going to push God away. He's right here, and he's shown up here for you. He's shown up today. And so what we get in John 21, oh, this is so good. Gabe, I need the piano playing so I'll shut up. John 21, we get this beautiful story. Jesus, post-resurrection, is having breakfast with his disciples. I love that breakfast is part of the resurrection. <laughs> Ever thought about that? Bacon and eggs at the resurrection? Well, maybe not bacon at this time, but nevertheless. <laughs> Jesus is broiling some fish on the seashore. And he looks at Simon Peter. Now, knowing his failures, Jesus is now having a conversation. And he says these words, John 21, verse 15 through 17. When they finished eating breakfast, breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Seems very simple, doesn't it? Now, something that you need to know about the... The Greek language, because the New Testament was written in Greek, something you need to know about the Greek language is that there are four words, four words for love. We use love interchangeably. I love Doritos, I love my wife, I love the lions. Not in that order. But how many of you know those are four type, three different types of loves there? But in Greek, more descriptive language, there were four words. There was the word storge, 
Storge was a parental type of love. There's the word eros, which we get the word uh, erotic. That's the word that's like a physical love. Then we got the word phileo, which is kind of a brotherly, friendly love. We get the word Philadelphia. And then we get agape, which is unconditional love. So when you look into the Greek of this, Jesus says, do you agape me? Do you unconditionally love you? And Peter replies, I phileo you. I love you like a brother. You know what I read into that? Is Jesus like, do you love me unconditionally? I read Peter, this failure, saying, I can't love you at that level. You already, you know what I did. There's no way I could come to that level. I can't. And yet Jesus looks at him and says, feed my sheep. I love it even in that moment that as imperfect as Peter is, Jesus still says, I can still use you. You're not unusable. You're not so broken you can't be used. But then Jesus asked a second time, Peter, do you agape me? Peter one more time says, I phileo you. I can't reach that. I'm too much of a broken. I'm too much of a mess. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Then a third time. Almost as if Jesus is asking three times because he knows Peter failed three times. It's almost like Jesus wanted to counteract all of that. But this time, Jesus says, do you phileo me? Like, well, why did Jesus downgrade the love? He didn't downgrade the love. I think he decided to get down to where Peter was really at. Jesus shows up. He shows up in the moment. And he begins to do what we see in our Bibles. It's, it's read as the restoration of Peter. Even... I mean, think of all the failures that you can have in life. This guy failed at such a foundation. He failed the risen, the, the, the crucified Savior. And the risen Savior was restoring him. I want you to understand, if we handle our failures correctly, the moment that was meant to break us is the very thing that God will use to build us. Because what God built on that day, he turned around and used that man to preach. Thousands would come to Jesus, and the new church was birthed all through a failure. Why? Because in the middle of failure, Jesus showed up. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what Resurrection Day is about. Jesus showing up. And just know this. This is how Jesus has always been. This is how God has always been. How do we know that? Go back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. Adam and Eve sins, and it says that the eyes, their eyes were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, made themselves loincloths, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to the man and woman and said, Where are you? Where are you? In the middle of humanity's failure, God didn't just say, I'm leaving them alone. They failed. God shows up. He calls them out. And they come out and they said, we were hiding for we were ashamed. That's what failure wants to do in your life. That's what sin wants you to do is try to hide from God because, man, you can't face God that way. You can't show up. God's going to hurt you. God's going to kill you. God's going to punish you. There is, a, there is a mindset about who God is. But if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. 
Because in that moment, God shows up, and instead of letting them walk around in fig leaves, he begins to cover them. He actually slaughters. God slaughters an innocent animal to cover up their nakedness. What do we see in that moment? We see the image of Jesus. An innocent laid down that our sins would be covered. He showed up in the beginning. And if even went all the way to Revelation chapter 3, he shows up at the end. We've seen a picture of Jesus. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anybody hears my voice, I will come in and eat with him. Jesus, even if you shut out Jesus, he will still stand at the door and he will knock. Jesus, he showed up in Genesis. He showed up in the Gospels. He shows up in Revelation and he's still showing up today. He's still showing up today. I love what R.T. Kendall says. Christianity is the only religion in the world that promises we get to heaven as a result of what God does for us and not what we do for God. What does he do? He shows up for us. He shows up for you. He shows up for me. And I'm wondering if today we've got some people who, I wonder if we've got some Marys. Then maybe you're in a place of hurting and brokenness. I want you to know that God has showed up for you. Maybe you got some skeptics in the house. I will not ask you to raise your hands. You'll be skeptical about raising your hand. What's he going to sign me up for? But you got questions. You got wonderings. I'm here to say that Jesus has shown up for you. But I'm going to ask you to take one step closer to Jesus today. But maybe you're here and you're feeling like a failure. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you feel like a failure because of something that's happened in your past. Maybe there's something that has haunted you. Maybe you feel like your life has been broken in sin. Maybe, just maybe, maybe. Maybe you went the path that I went in where I grew up in the church. I was raised, I mean, like right from the hospital, I think they took me right to church. I grew up in a house where anytime the church doors were open, we showed up to church. We were at church for anything and everything, but... I also knew how to play church as a teenager. I knew, who, I knew how to fool everybody at the church into thinking I was something, I was nothing, but deep down, nobody knew the darkness I was living in. Nobody knew about my pornography habits. Nobody knew about my hate and my anger, the resentment that I carried toward people and specifically toward God for what had happened in my life, for my brother passing away. I can list the things that I just, I could put on a show but I just remember it was my 10th grade year. Jesus and I had it out that night. I remember just sitting in my brokenness, sitting in my own skepticism, and even honestly sitting in the moment where I just realized that God, as much as I need you back in my life, I feel like I have failed you to such a degree there's no way that you could take me back. But I'm here to say, in the middle of that moment, Jesus showed up and where you're at today I want you to know that Jesus has showed up here today for you he has showed up here today for me and what I want to do today is invite you to do what Thomas did and to take a step forward and then move toward Jesus would you bow your heads with me